I really like latched onto that idea of like almost hosting an event, you know, kind of yeah. like we're doing, like what we're doing right now, you know? Yeah. And then I was like, okay, what next? I think that when things do come back to normal, that we will return like stronger than ever and more educated online because of what we had to adapt to. I just, I had an idea and I had a vision and I'm glad I stayed with it because it's been like my security blanket during this whole pandemic. Hello, Theatre Art Life podcast listeners. Today we're sharing with you the audio from our one-on-one interview series. We hope that you enjoyed listening. Some of our discussion has references to pictures shown in our webinar. So if you want to see these pictures, you can always head over to the Theatre Art Life YouTube channel and watch the replay. Enjoy. Now, Eric Hernandez is a native filmmaker based in Los Angeles who is known for his YouTube channel, Surf Life. Eric started making videos while touring as a lead hoop dancer with the Cirque du Soleil's Totem. Since the pandemic, Eric has focused his YouTube channel on his latest series, The Cirque Life Project, to keep performing arts alive during the current large scale and ongoing shutdowns that we were just discussing before uh, we, we went on air. So thank you, Eric, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Before we go into where we're at now, tell us a little bit about Cirque Life and how you got started while you were uh, touring. Yeah, so I started Cirque Life, uh, the YouTube channel, back in 2014. It was about two years after I had started with uh, Cirque du Soleil Totem. And, you know, when you first join the show, there's a lot of work that goes into it and getting used to the workload that, you know, Cirque du Soleil is doing 10 shows a week and stuff like that. That took all of my focus and all of my energy the first two years. And once I kind of was able to find a rhythm and kind of be able to do it without using too much mental effort and all that, I was like, okay, I need another challenge. So I started filming and I didn't really have any experience filming. And I was just filming with a GoPro at first. I bought a GoPro and I started filming backstage. And the main reason I started filming videos also was just to show my family like, hey, look look at these people I work with. Look at these places I get to go and stuff like that. And it was really just like a personal blog. You know, that was the idea of it. And then I started to just progress. Oh, this film thing is cool. And um, I have a lot to show here backstage. So I kept making videos and developing the channel. And uh, a lot of the other artists started getting involved. Although the artists were getting involved and it was a fun thing to do, the actual company, Cirque du Soleil, at the time, back in 2014, wasn't didn't really have a social media presence at the time. And they kind of like the idea of Cirque du Soleil being secretive and uh, the magic being in the big top. Right. And I, and I can't completely understood that. And, and I, obviously I wouldn't ever film on stage or ever show any of the content of the show, but I was giving like a first look backstage that had ever been shown before. Like nobody was really doing that. And I did have, a couple encounters with like people from the headquarters and the media department. <laughs> calling <him> up. <laughs> yeah, calling me up. Um, and they said, Hey Eric, you can't do that. Hey, you can't film the schedules, you can't film the 
you know, our policies and things like that. And those are secretive. And so I kind of had to step back for a little bit, even at some, there was one day where they even told me, Eric, you're not allowed to bring a camera on site anymore. Wow. And then, and, and I'd say about six months went by after that, that I wasn't able to film backstage. And then it wasn't until we were actually in Australia and, uh, they needed a marketing video. And who did they ask? They asked me. And I said, but I thought you said I couldn't bring my camera backstage. And they're, like, <laughs> they're like, well, we need you. And uh, so I got, so I started working for them. And then that was where Cirque Life and the people I was working with and management started to kind of merge and it became more acceptable. And Cirque du Soleil started to gain more of a presence on social media and they started posting on YouTube and and then it kind of started to become bigger because now I'm not being this like rebellious kid with a camera, but now I'm actually contributing to the brand and marketing. And um, they started to give me a lot of freedom with that. So yeah, looking back, so that was 2014. Yeah. Six years ago. So, you know, it might've been earlier. It might've been, might've been 2013 actually. Right. But, uh, and, and it's funny, though, you, you say that shift happened. I think that not only happened in the entertainment world, but also generally that breaking down of the facades of what companies were and more of a casual behind the scenes background. You know, social media has driven that shift, I think. Um, and then you either get on board or you don't. But now, you know, most companies have that need to have that social media presence as well. So it's it was probably yeah. beneficial that you were there doing that kind of content in the end, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, any live entertainment, like when you think about what the product is for live entertainment company is they want you to buy tickets and they want you to go and watch the show. So I think when it comes to social media or showing what they do in another form, I think that they kind of had the mindset that it would take away from you know, bringing people to the show, but eventually they, they realize, and I think more and more traditional performing arts companies are realizing that social media is a powerful tool and then performers themselves as well. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that can help you, you know? So. Absolutely. And, and even something like, uh, say, the Hamilton that's been put on Disney Plus, you know, yeah. people were, we used to be scared that, that a, a, a digital capture of a musical would not bring people to the show. But in every sense now, it's probably motivated people more to go and see that show now that they've seen it so well filmed and well executed on, um, on Disney Plus, you know. Yeah, it gives you the ability to reach a larger audience. So Yeah. And Definitely. so what happened with Cirque Life when you when the pandemic hit, you were aware and I guess you probably put a bit more effort into Cirque Life once uh, you weren't performing every day, 10 shows a week. Yeah. Well, actually, about six months leading up to the pandemic, I came up with this idea to challenge the artists that I work with in the big top, like in physical challenges, like we did, like who could do the most push-ups and who could do the most pull-ups. And I created that series and my channel took off with like, it took me, it probably took me five years to get 10,000 subscribers. And I got another 10,000 within that six months from that series. And before I had started that series, I had kind of been dark on the channel for about six months. So I did nothing on Cirque Life. And then I was like, I had this idea for this series. 
I made about five episodes of it. They all had over like 150,000 views. And then the pandemic hit. So I was like on a roll and I was thinking, this is the formula. Like, I'm going to keep going with this. And this is great. Like everybody's involved in the big top. People love it on YouTube. And then we were in Germany at the time uh, in March. Yeah, we were in Munich. And uh, and that was when everything started. And uh, when they first said like, oh, it's it's a it's a it's a, a sickness coming from China. And um, now it's gone to Italy. All of our management and our our physical therapists and all that were saying, "Oh, we'll be okay. Like we'll be okay. It'll it'll you know it'll it'll go away and all that." But when it got to Italy, because our next stop was Italy, um, then we were like, "Okay, how does that affect us?" And they were like, "Oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine." And then all of a sudden, one day it was like, "Okay, we can't go to Italy. Italy's canceled." But We'll finish out our run here. We'll have a month or two off and then we'll get started back in uh, the rest of our European tour. And then news comes out. Okay. It's in Germany. So what are we doing? Oh, well, we're still going to perform, but we can only perform for 1000 people. So we kept performing and I was making videos and I started to document this process of like what was going on with the pandemic and, and when we went out and did a show for a thousand people, a lot of the artists kind of, felt uncomfortable just because of the vibe. And uh, it was the first time that you started to see people wearing masks and stuff like that. And when we went on stage and all the audience was spread out, I mean, now talking about it, it's like we're used to seeing it. But back then in March, when we went on, on stage and the audience was all sitting far away from each other and in masks, it was just really strange to see. And uh, a lot of the artists were kind of like, what are we doing here? And then the next day they said, okay, now you can only do performances for 500 people. It was at that moment that artists just took it upon themselves to say, no, not gonna, we're not going to perform. And then, and then that was the last day for, I think, all shows across the world for Cirque du Soleil. I think it was like the 15th of March or something like that. So when I got home, because I had that big run with, the, with Cirque Life, with the series and all that, I was really hyped about it. And I was like, oh, we, well, we just finished this. I was like, I got to find a way to keep this alive. Mm. And the first obvious video was to tell the story of what happened. So I created that. And then uh, I sat around for a week or two and, and was like, okay, you know, when are they going to call us back? When are we going to get an update? When are we going to go back to work? But I mean, it's funny looking back on it now, thinking that, it was just going to last a couple of weeks or so, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Here we are still in the midst of it. In the, yeah. If not the worst part of it, the, uh, where you are right exactly. now in Los Angeles. Exactly. So I had the idea to um, use that same concept of having a physical challenge and, and uh, you know, putting up a cash prize and having people compete against each other. So, I wanted to do a handstand competition and just like I did with the, with the artists, but this time, and originally I wanted to reach out to the totem artists that I was working with and say, Hey guys, let's do a handstand competition, but let's do it virtual. Yeah. And then, and then I was thinking, why does it only have to be the totem people if it's virtual? So then I was like, let me just open up, like, let me 
open this concept of the channel because it's always been just totem backstage, Circus Lay totem backstage, and let me let me open up this idea to the world and and see how that goes. Why not? And uh, and it was a hit. I did a handstand competition. We had like a hundred and hundred and seven people send in handstand videos, and the guy did like a seventeen minute handstand and. They got like half a million views, and uh, <laughs> they were, sorry, you people watched him do a handstand for seventeen minutes. Like, well, on, there, was, on, you know, there was a hundred and forty other people falling out on the way up to seventy minutes, up to seventeen minutes. Oh, right, so, right, okay. So it was like you weren't just watching one guy hold it; you were watching. Yeah, it was like a grid, and it had all the different people, right. and you'd see them drop off and. So it was kind of uh, it was kind of entertaining That's to cool. watch. Because you wanted to skip, you know, and um, and that was also the first time that I used the the premiere feature on YouTube, where it's kind of like a live. Even though it's not a live video, you can still like premiere it to the point where people can't skip forward, and like there's a chat room, and right. um, and there was like 700 people watching it live. So I really like latched onto that idea of like almost hosting an event, you know, kind of yeah. like we're doing like what we're doing right now, you know? Yeah. And then I was like, okay, what next? And I was thinking, okay, I want to see who can juggle five balls for the longest or how about push-ups or pull-ups who can do the most. And then I was like, you know what? Let me, let me think of something even bigger than that. And then that's where I came up with the idea for just like a full on talent show like let's let people perform acts and of course you need an incentive you know you need uh you need to give some people a reason so i put up ten thousand dollars um with no idea how i was going to get that money <laughs> uh, with absolutely no like like i just was yeah yeah no sponsorship lined up no no plan i was just hoping that my youtube monetization would eventually help me pay the winner. So I sent out the announcement. Hey guys, make a video. It can be one minute. $10,000 is on the line. Send in your videos. They have to be in in two weeks and you'll be in. And, and I received a hundred and, and like 25 videos and about 60% of them were Cirque du Soleil artists. Wow. So I was like, wow, I really, well, first of all, I mean, all these artists are doing the same thing as me. They're sitting at home. So if somebody's putting ten thousand dollars on the line, like well, I mean, why wouldn't you want to get on it? Yeah. So build a video yeah. and get in it, get in the ring for the competition. Yeah. So I was just like, okay, this is gonna give all these artists who are in the same situation as me something to strive for, and it's gonna keep the Cirque Life channel alive. So that was kind of my my thought going into it, and that was back in. August. Yeah. And when, when I had this idea, I didn't realize the nature of it and how long it would actually have to go. Cause I'm still doing episodes. I'm, I'm yeah. not sure if you follow the Cirque Life YouTube channel, but we just barely finished the, the second round, which was the top 40. So, right. so we watched, we watched a hundred performances, which was 10 episodes of 10 acts each. And then now, uh, then we narrowed it down to 40 and now we're watching the top 40. We just finished watching the top 40. So from here, it'll go to, uh, the top 12 and 
and then we'll continue on with that. But it's it's been a journey. It's like um, it's like six months in. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a long it's competition. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long competition, but yeah. uh, but it's been fun. It's been fun to yeah. to connect to connect and meet so many artists. Like I was so confined to the, my little world of those. Yeah, your little bubble of totem gang. Yeah, those forty-seven artists, which I I miss and love very much. But it's been great to to meet so many different artists from around the world and and non-circus performers too. Like, you know, there's a lot of dancers and singers and and things like that. So, so yeah, that's that's what I've been spending most of my time doing. And because you've watched a lot of videos and a lot of um, a lot of presentations, what would you advise people who are trying to promote their work or make a video? You know, because we've obviously entered into this virtual world, and I think even in some of the projects that I'm talking about um, in the future in, in the circus realm, that we're talking about virtual auditions, right? So this is going to become really important. You know, people are not going to necessarily fly to somewhere to audition for something in person and you're going to have to represent yourself on video. So do you have any tips for people on, on presentation, quality, audio, lighting, etc.? Yeah. I think that a big thing I've seen with a lot of the performers that have sent videos to me is one of the biggest differences is some of them just set up a camera and perform like the camera is kind of somebody watching from the side or somebody kind of peeking in on their performance and others put the camera and perform and perform to the camera. They use the camera like like a person. So one of our biggest like artists in the competition right now, her name is Tori Boggs. She's a jump rope girl. She's got like, I don't know, 200, 300,000 followers on Instagram. And she really has like mastered the technique of connecting with somebody through a camera and looking it straight in the eyes and giving it a nice smile. And, and I think that's the biggest difference is some people will really perform to the camera and others will kind of have it look just kind of on the side, like, Hey, watch me do this. And so I think that's a big that's a big aspect. Um, definitely little stuff like lighting. Of course, a lot of times people will film outside and they'll shoot into the sun, which then makes them look like a silhouette, which is kind of like, an art, which is like an artistic choice. If that's what you're going for, you know, they'll be like, Oh, there's sun out. So they're like, it's light out. Let me go use natural light. And then they'll shoot <laughs> with, the sun, with the sun behind them. Yeah. Rule, rule, rule number one for photography not to do. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, surprisingly, a lot of people would send in videos like that. And I'm like, we can't see your face. We can't see any of the details. So, yeah. you know, use the sun, have the sun behind the camera. And then, um, obviously, audio, a big thing that is if you're performing an act and you have music to your act, some people will have a speaker with the music and they'll have it kind of just off in the distance for themselves to reference without thinking so much about the final product of the video and how the audio sounds in the video. Yeah. So that's definitely something to think about. If you know a little bit about video editing, you can always incorporate the music in post-production and add it in. Cause at the end of the day, audio 
is a huge part. You can have average video and have really good audio and it's still a good product. But if you have bad audio, it makes a good image look bad. Like, yeah. So really focus on audio and um, yeah. So what do you, and when you're doing your, when you started editing, what programs did you, I mean, you start, said you started with a GoPro. Have you moved yeah. on to something else now or, you know, cause I know, I mean, I guess yeah. iPhone cameras and stuff are getting better and better. And Yeah. iPhones are so good. Like anytime anybody asks me, Eric, what camera should I buy? What camera should I use? It depends how much you want to put into post-production and like rendering files and, and, and all that. But at the end of the day, the iPhone and the audio settings that are already built into filming a video with an iPhone, the, the colors that it gets, the way it corrects itself is amazing. The iPhone is incredible. So I always tell people, you know, if, if you're not willing to fully dive into the video world, like just use your iPhone. The iPhone is amazing. That you can even film in 4K, you can film in slow motion, you do all that with the iPhone. Just get things to surround the iPhone, like maybe get a tripod with the iPhone for the iPhone, get get a, a little light to go on. So you could even get mics for the iPhone. I've gone all out with camera gear just because I have a passion for it. After I had the GoPro, yeah. I had a GoPro that I went on to a um like a DSLR. I had like a Canon T3i, uh, which is like between three to $500 range, like nothing crazy. Um, it's when you get into lenses and stuff like that, that it gets pretty expensive and that kind of did the job. And then I'm really into like tech and all that. I love watching like YouTube camera tech and stuff like that. So I upgraded from there and I got a Canon one DX. That's this camera here. It's kind of like a, it's like a photographer yep. camera that also does video. And this is also an SLR. And once you get into stuff like this, you're you're looking at like closer to like five thousand dollars, you know. But there, there's right. a there's a medium between those two. You can get a good camera for like if you want a really good camera, you could get you could get something for like eight hundred or seven hundred dollars. Like yeah. What uh, what sort of program do you use to do your post production? So I use Final Cut Pro. Right. Final Cut Pro. I know a lot of the um, like industry standard, a lot of people use Adobe Premiere. But for a long time, I used iMovie. So yeah. and, and iMovie goes along with the iPhone and all that stuff. And I've actually done some videos where I've filmed with the iPhone and edited the video on iMovie on the app on the phone. So wow, that's like a walking studio. So yeah. No, it's, you know, I think iMovie is a good introduction if you've never done any video content before, right? It's fairly intuitive and yeah, it gets you started. And then if you're serious about it, then you delve, like you said, you delve into the next levels and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and, um, and, Final, and Final Cut Pro is a easier transition from iMovie. It's kind of a similar layout. Uh, Premiere right. Premiere's kind of a whole different learning curve than than iMovie, so. You know, how important it is, you know, I think it's quite interesting that you said um, uh, of the woman that ha plays to the camera and stuff for her followers and, and her, her presentations online. Do you think that may be the future when people are auditioning that, that people will need to play to the camera and um, 
how important do you think it will be in the future for performers, artists, circus artists to promote themselves and create a brand that is visible online? Yeah, I think it's really important. Um, you see a lot of performing artists right now creating businesses, teaching and stuff like that. But I think that we're going to see more and more platforms that are hosting live performances where the artists will actually have to have to film. So it's definitely, it's definitely important. I think it's something that we have to get used to. I think the most difficult thing about it is that when you perform on a live stage, there's that adrenaline and that energy that you take from an audience. Right. So when you're performing in front of a camera, you kind of have to find a way to generate that yourself. That's going to be difficult. Yeah. But you can do as many takes as you want. Right. You know what I mean? So there's, you know, there's pros and cons and things like that. But yeah. And what's what's uh, the evolution of Circle Life in terms of um, you're going to finish this competition, yeah. and um, and then what's next? What have you got ideas about how you're going to evolve from there? Yeah. So when I started the channel, it was all like vlogs. It was more personal. It was really like, hey guys, I'm here in wherever. I'm here in Bali, and I'm here for three days, and I'm walking around, and da 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 da, or. You know, hey guys, I'm home for two days off tour, and it was really it was more personal. If you go really back to like the beginning, like my first twenty videos on the channel, it was it was a lot more of like of this, like, <laughs> like vlogging. And um, I kind of want to go after I finish this project. I kind of want to go back to vlogging, but at the level of cinematography that I am now. Right. Like, you know, before I was vlogging with a GoPro. So now I kind of want to do like overly produced vlogs that almost feel like a documentary or a movie. Um, And I have the idea kind of about things like how an artist is surviving during this pandemic. And there's a lot of little things that, you know, I've had to do and a lot of changes that I've had to make. And I kind of want to give an insight into that whole life and how that is and staying in shape and financially surviving and mentally. And so I kind of want to dive into that world and, and do kind of a, uh, bring Cirque life. It's kind of like I gave it, I gave Cirque life to like the performing arts world. Like, Hey you guys, my audience is your audience. Like take it over. Like, it's not about me. It's about us. And I yeah. think once I finish this project, I, I think I might come back to that a little bit more just because that's the nature of the situation that we're in. And I mean, I would like to do the handstand thing again. I would like to do a lot of these things again where I do involve people. But the Cirque Life project has consumed all of the content on the channel and it's consumed all of my time as well. <laughs> um, so I think that once I'm done with it, I will kind of you know, go a different angle where I'm not so locked into a series like this. I mean, it's been, it's been an amazing experience. And eventually I realized that I I did have to reach out to brands to try to pay this cash prize. And I did have to find different ways to monetize um, the whole platform. 
which has been an amazing learning experience for me. And that's kind of been the nature of this whole situation that the world is in. A lot of these traditional companies that have never really had an online presence have had to adapt and find ways to make money online. I think that when things do come back to normal, that we will return like stronger than ever and more educated online because of what we had to adapt to. Sure. Um, so like, even if, you know, hopefully one day Cirque du Soleil Totem or Cirque du Soleil in general comes back. Um, and if I was to return to tour and be backstage with everybody again, because of what I've learned, there was, there's so many different things that I would do. Like even looking back now, like, why didn't I ever do this that I'm doing now? Like, so. Um, yeah. A lot of the, and like you said, we spoke before the barriers of what people are acceptable as using, like what kind of content they're used to looking at, what they're interested in, all of that. Yeah. I can imagine you've probably got quite a lot of ideas for when you get back on tour. If you've got to come up with ideas in your own little house, then you've got to, then you've got so much more food. When's you're yeah. actually traveling again. I know. <laughs> I know. Right. I've had to like stretch my mind to, to find content in the, in these, between these four walls. It's like, do you think that that's part of the thing that's kept you focused and sane throughout this period? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I try to reach out as often as I can to a lot of the artists that I was working with. And some of them have like, you know, been fortunate enough to like find work or do things. Like one of one of my best friends on the show was Massimo. And he was able to like, he got work in Berlin for a while and was working on another show. And we were all calling him a traitor. Like, what are you doing? You know, and um, <laughs> and he's been able to find different ways to stay busy and stuff like that. But Cirque Life definitely has been like a huge blessing for me to stay busy. And I'm so grateful that I created it when I did, because it's definitely given me something. It's given me purpose during this time. And it's been a great tool to, you know, host the Cirque Life project and help bring the, the community together. Yeah, bring the community together. So so I'm I'm yeah. I'm definitely glad that I, I put those the the time and effort into it when I did. It didn't always seem like it was worth it. You know, sometimes when I was staying up late editing a video when I had a show the next day and people were like, Eric, what what are you doing? Why are you editing video? Like why are you edit why are you filming and editing videos all the time? Like we're doing 10 shows a week. And I just sometimes I didn't know why either. I just had, <laughs> I just had a vision. I just I had an idea and I had a vision and I'm glad I stayed with it because it's been like my security blanket during this whole pandemic. And what do you hope for post-pandemic, you know, for either live entertainment or yourself personally? We just had our first meeting with Cirque du Soleil. Uh, it was like a Zoom meeting with like 700 of us, like wow. all in the Zoom chat. And they estimated that we could be back the fourth quarter of 2021 which would be like November, I guess, October, November. So I guess that would be post pandemic, but I mean, who knows at the end of the day, like who knows, right? right? Who knows? But in the meantime, I'm doing, you know, Cirque Life stuff, but I've also been doing some other like freelance video work as well. 
actually a project that I'm working on at the moment is the Herd Museum, which is in Phoenix, Arizona, is where the national hoop dance contest is held every year. Like, you know, because I'm, I'm a Native American hoop dancer and that's that's actually where Cirque like found yeah. me. Yeah. They, yeah. Like at the hoop dance competition. Uh, and I've been competing there since I was 14. And uh, it's it's every year, the second week of February. And obviously this year, you know, they normally have like 10,000 people that come throughout the day to watch this hoop dance competition. So it's not going to happen this year, obviously, because, you know, people can't gather. So they reached out to me. They saw what I've been doing with the Cirque Life Project and and all that stuff. Once again, things that you don't, you know, you, you do things and, and you don't know why you're doing them. You don't know how they'll pay. You don't know how they'll pay off, you know? Yeah. Um, but if you kind of just stick your head down and go, you know, hard work pays off. And and it was about a month ago that they reached out to me. And and it's a big deal. Like the Herd Museum is a prestigious, it's one of the biggest Native American museums in the country. And uh, they reached out to me and they asked me to produce the entire virtual hoop dance contest this year. Wow. So I've been working on that, which has been a lot of work. My brother is also a filmmaker who does music videos and stuff, and I've been helping him. So I've been doing like freelance video work here and there. And so come November, depending on where I am and how much, how established I am as a video maker and a freelance artist, hoop dancer, you know, I'll have to make the decision then, you know, to, to return to Cirque. I'm, Obviously, I, w- I would love to see everybody again. I would love to work there and, and do that. But having a taste of this life and being in control of my own schedule all day, every day. It's kind of nice, right? It's kind of nice. And <laughs> I kind of I I like the entrepreneurial you know, aspect of that. So, of course, Cirque du Soleil is an incredible opportunity and in traveling the world and performing and all that. But when you go there and you are there, you, you know, you're, um, that's, you're locked in to that. I mean, it'd be great. Yeah. It'd be great for Cirque Life and it'd be, it'd be great for all that. And, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not dogging it at all. Like I would, I definitely am excited to return one day, but I mean, we'll just have to see, like, I'm not going to sit around and twiddle my thumbs and wait for it to come back. Like, yeah, it's such um, a good point that you make. You know, I often think that it's it's so interesting to see how the pandemic completely just took away many people's life and existence that, that they rely on, you know. And I think for performers, you know, unlike, say, I, you know, I historically I've worked in the backstage realm. Yeah. There's no end date necessarily to my career if I want to continue to work yet. For some performance elements and for performers, their their body wears out or at some point they need to transition. And it looks like you've taken something that's been a passion and you've started to cultivate into something that now could actually be a career, which is fantastic. Is it something that you would recommend people, any performer, to start laying foundations and groundwork as to what comes after their performing career? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of like having a backup plan, like as a, especially as a performer, you know, I'm a, I'm a hoop dancer and I'm on the ground. I dance and I probably could do it for, you know, at least another 10 to 15, 20 years, you know, until my knees give out. But, <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah, definitely. I, I would recommend everybody to kind of have a backup plan. Even if you are in a great situation right now and you are making great money, save it, you know, and find and find ways to to make your money work for you. And and that's been that was something that I was lucky that my parents always told me to do. They were like, it's not how much money you have, it's not how much money you make, it's how much money you save. <laughs> and um when I was on tour, they're always like, save for a rainy day, save for a rainy day. And, <laughs> and now that we're in a rainy day. Um, there's a lot of rainy days right now. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of rainy days right now. So I would definitely say, I mean, I think developing a whole nother skill, there will be those that are able to do that. But just from my experience and working with the people I did at Cirque and stuff, 90% of the artists that I worked with performing and being there consumes all of your mental and physical time. So you do have to dedicate a hundred percent of your time there. I was in, I was fortunate enough to be in a situation where in a two and a half hour show, I was only on stage for 18 minutes. Right. So I was backstage and I'm a dancer. I'm on the ground. So, I mean, I can stretch and I can work on my abs and things like that, but I'm not necessarily doing injury prevention and all the other stuff that a lot of the artists have to do. But, but a lot, I'd say a big skill that a lot of the artists would work on is a lot of them would study and try to educate themselves. A lot of them were studying to become like uh, physical trainers. And uh, some of them were doing their online degrees and stuff. So, I mean, just, just the concept of having a backup plan because performing and being on stage, unless, unless, you know, like yourself, you get into the backstage aspect after, or, you know, you become an artistic director or you get into the behind the scenes after as a performer, it's, it's temporary. It's not, I mean, unless you're a clown and you can do the clown until you're like 85 years old. I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, I know. That's but you were not, yeah. But um, I mean, so you work backstage. So I mean, it's that's a whole. It's a whole different. I'm speaking from a performer standpoint, but mm. I mean, I'm sure you have kind of a different perspective. And uh, well, you know, it's it's really hard because I think that everybody's experience is different depending on what country they come from or where they were when the pandemic happened. You know, some people were stranded in Macau and they're still there, and um, yeah. some people can get unemployment benefits and some people cannot. So it's really hard to sort of, you know, I mean, I've been fortunate enough like you to develop a diverse skill set so I can apply my skill sets to things that are not necessarily live entertainment, so more installation aspects of it or other sort of planning and project management um, projects. So for me, you know, like you, I would say, you know, Diversity in skills is something that's really, I think, something that's changing and shifting in our industry generally. You know, you've even in how, how you've shifted into the social media aspect, you've got, you know, it's more open and yeah. people need to brand themselves and promote themselves and, and, and delve into that, but also being diverse. And what I love about entertainment, and, you know, you see it too, is like the more different elements of entertainment that you can do, at, at the end of the day, the more employable you become rather than being a specialist. Yeah. So I become more of a jack of all trades, master of nothing (laughs) kind of person. But it becomes useful in the end, especially in times like this. 
I think that was also a big part of my situation as well is that I'm a Native American hoop dancer and Totem is the only show that would ever have a Native hoop dancer. Otherwise, I wouldn't ever be in a circus. A lot of the acrobats and, and circus performers have opportunities to jump around and go to different shows. And right. um, I never, I never really thought that I would have that chance unless somebody decided to create another Native American show. So I wanted to figure out what I had to do to create one myself. Yeah. You know, so I, so I kind of took that route of like, okay, I'm experiencing, I'm learning from all these people around me. I'm seeing how this big production works instead of just coming in every day and playing my part. Like, let me open my eyes and see how this big engine works and, and, and learn that stuff and take, and take that away from the experience instead of just, um, going in and, and, and dancing every day and leaving. So I kind of used video as my platform to, to stretch out. And now with the people that I have featured on my channel and all that, I'm, I'm realizing the, the power that, you know, having a platform has and, uh, the same way that these, performing arts companies are trying or need to transform into social media. You know, why can't it, why can't it go the other way around? How come, why can't a, a YouTube channel or a online platform then, you know, have, have the resources to create a live show. So yeah, that's, that's also another, you know, idea that I have eventually with, with Cirque Life, but you know, and, and the thing is it could go for, it could Cirque Life could still be going five to 10 years from now. Like there doesn't ever have to be a deadline on it unless like YouTube shuts down, but I don't really see that happening anytime soon. So I don't know. I think, you know, possibilities are endless. And you know, what I think we should do Eric is when live shows come back together. Cause one of my goals in theater at life is to do some really quality backstage documentaries of live shows because what happens tends to happen is that people will come and document something but they're not necessarily from the industry so they're not always having the right conversations or getting the right shots or getting the right story so I think between you and me we can we can we could probably do that pretty well what do you reckon (laughs) yeah definitely definitely that'd be cool that'd be really cool you guys have a youtube channel and you guys are creating yeah I mean mostly Mostly we're doing interviews and webinars like that because it's the pandemic and we can't get out. But um, the goal of 2021 is to sort of start to get, you know, once things get going, get into the foray and and, uh, and see, you know, a little bit more like yours, a kind of documentary style of content and stuff so people can really see the meat. And, uh, you know, we're such a special, unique community and it's really nice to see something that isn't sort of just journalistic glossed over this is the show, but like, let's really dig into the creatives and the, the way that it gets done and all of, yeah. all of that stuff. I, I really think there's a lot to be shown and demonstrated and um, most of it, you know, most of the amazing people that you meet and only show a, a, a fraction of themselves on stage, right? And there's this yeah. whole gamut of other things about those people, their stories, their history, their skills um, that don't necessarily get shown on the stage. And I think that's an interesting story. Yeah, exactly. People want to hear that story too. So, Yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, thank you so much for joining us today, Eric, and, and sharing yeah. this quarantine life. Um, I wish yeah. you the best. 
in uh, Los Angeles uh, right now because I know it's fairly uh, intense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, if you're part of the performing arts industry, just find a way to to not lose it. Don't if you know if you're a performer, try to find a way to not lose your skills that you worked so hard on. You know all these all these years, and um, find a way to stay in shape. I know that's definitely hard, and I think that um, I mean, of course, I'd like to make predictions, and I'd like to be as optimistic as possible. Um, you know, Cirque du Soleil tells us the fourth quarter of 2021, and I'd like to hope even sooner, you know, I'd like to hope that by the summer, you know, things will be cleared up and we could get our, our beach bods and go on the beach and, <laughs> you know, be ready for all that. So I would say just, just try to be as strong as you can mentally and, and keep it up. Don't lose it. Don't lose your art. So yeah. And go check out Cirque Life. Subscribe. Yeah, go subscribe to Cirque Life, uh, and uh, you get you going to seventy over seventy seven thousand subscribers now, so you're doing well. Yeah, just hit seventy seven like yesterday, so that's amazing. I have a goal to get to a hundred because when you get a hundred, YouTube sends you a plaque, and I really want the plaque. <laughs> I want the plaque. <laughs> but, um, uh, Oh, that's fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, We will also promote it. We'll put the link in on our YouTube discussion today, Eric, and hopefully we can get you a few more subscribers. Best of luck for the rest of the competition and also for you in 2021, and I'm sure you and I will keep in touch anyway. Thank you. Yeah, you as well. You as well. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us today. See you later. All right. See ya. We would love to hear from you, our listeners, on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you. There is a link in our podcast description where you can send us your requests and guest nominations. Theater Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcast episodes for free. If you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast notes. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Live, the global media site for entertainment, at www.theatreartlive.com. And you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Sire for composing the music for our podcast. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Live podcast.